It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, here we go. It's another edition of the AFC West Mixtape. We do it at the end of the month each and every week usually toward the end of the week my name is pete sweeney i'm the editor-in-chief of arrowheadpride.com joined by tim lynch of mile high report bill williamson of silver and black pride michael peterson of bolts from the blue so we have all four afc west teams represented here we're going to first go around the room and give our one word state of the team address a little bit of a reason why and then in our second segment what we'll do is go to each team and we will ask three burning questions as the year, the regular season comes to a close here about the present and potentially the future of the team, just based upon where these teams are at. This is of course the AFC West mixtape. As I said, this is designed to give the other communities a look inside at the franchise from someone who is covering it in depth. And and we hope that this has done the job all year. We hope that you've enjoyed each and every episode and we're going to keep this going into 2023. All right. So let's go around the room here in our first segment as we do the state of the union. Tim, we will start with you in Broncos country, your one word state of the union and why Uh, relief. You know, we're just relieved that the Nathaniel Hackett experience is finally over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully the next coaching regime can turn things around. And it's been a long seven years. I think fans are just over it. Uh, but this week, we're just relieved. Relieved it's <clears throat> moving on, moving forward. I think you, that's a, a good word and a good way to put it. I, I know it's been somewhat of a miserable year. At least there's something that I, I think a lot of fans can agree on, on in Denver is that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't cutting it, and we will get into what we think happens with that in our next segment as we get to the three burning questions for Mile High Report. We'll continue with Bill Williamson of Silver and Black Pride. Bill, your one word for the Raiders and why. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Um, it has to be blown, as in blown leads, blown season. <laughs> um, you know, this has just been a, a, a – you know, the other word is disappointing. I mean, this is a team that was 10-7 uh, and seven last year. Added a, the coach it wanted, um, added Devontae Adams, added Chandler Jones, and it's, you know, looking like they're poised to be 6-11 and 11 and, you know, have maybe a top seven draft pick. And that was not the plan at all. And, you know, we'll talk more about Derek Carr here, but it's just blown. They just blew it this year. Yeah, I think that that's fitting for the Raiders, really, I think, as a division. And I just I just think for all the expectations that the AFC West had coming in, where we were supposed to enter these final two weeks and for it to maybe still be undecided, I just think it's really a blown opportunity where you, you look across the way the NFC East has has really been the most competitive and who could have ever predicted that. So and I think I think in a way, the division as a whole blew it this year as far as entertainment goes michael we'll continue with you bolts from the blue what is your one word for the chargers and why yeah i think the word is surprising 
because quite frankly, it's surprising that the defense has played as well. It has the last three weeks. It was surprising when at their lowest point in terms of most injured on the defensive side of the ball, they were able to stop the Dolphins offense. Um, surprising that they clinched a playoff spot with two full weeks to go, especially in a season with so many injuries, especially compared to last season, which they did not have nearly as many injuries and they just barely missed the playoffs. Um, surprising that they're in this position despite a down year from Justin Herbert, at least statistically yardage wise, he's up there, but about 16, 17 less touchdowns at this point than he had last season. So surprising all the way around, but in a good way. Yeah. And this is a, a team that always has the injury bug hitting it. And I think surprising in a way that they were finally able to overcome because we've seen it impact them and have them be out of the playoffs in a lot of seasons leading up to this. So the Chargers and the Chiefs will be representing the AFC West in the playoffs. My word for the Chiefs right now is hopeful. I think they enter the, the final week. We, we know that the Chiefs are, are the champions of the AFC West again, but they are hopeful that they can take care of the Denver Broncos, and that hope extends, I think, to Monday night, where right in front of them they have this opportunity, and who could have thought for you know two of the AFC's elite going at each other where – the Chiefs, their main nemesis right now has been the Bengals, but they'll be relying on the Bengals to beat the Bills on Monday night, which would give them control of potentially having that AFC bye and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So I, I think hopeful is fitting for the Chiefs. So keep, if you're keeping track at home, Tim gave us relief. Bill Williamson gave us blown. Michael Peterson, surprise. And then for the Chiefs, I, I think they're hopeful at this stage. All right, when we come back, we will get into our three burning questions for each team, you're listening to the AFC West Mixtape. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Back here on the AFC West Mixtape, we are going to go Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs when it comes to these questions. So if you're looking for a particular team and you want to know more about them, you know to fast forward or rewind or whatever it is you, you want to do. Tim, we'll go back to you with, with Mile High Report. We have three burning questions. I gave these to you guys ahead of time so you could you could stew on them a little bit. So we'll start here. And, and you talked about it a little bit in the first segment, but what was the fan base's reaction to the hack at firing? And then by extension of that, who do you think you want to see hired at this stage? Yeah, I mean, basically the one word covers a lot of it, but there was a lot of joy and happiness. <laughs> you know, it's it's it sucks that you're celebrating somebody getting fired, but at the end of the day, he's still getting paid probably. So it, it it's sure. all it's all part of the game. Um, but, you know, hack was just bad all around. Um is bad coaching, bad fundamentals, bad in-game management, bad in-game decisions, bad play calling. It was just, it was terrible. It's one of the worst um, 
coaching runs I've seen personally uh, from the Broncos. And that includes Josh McDaniels, who is an absolute mm. train wreck. Um, but the the one guy that I'm really looking at uh, heading into the offseason is, is probably Jim Harbaugh. Um, I don't know if the Broncos are attractive enough for him, but the, this team needs a strong presence in both the front office and on the pra- practice field. Uh, and a guy like Harbaugh would probably bring that in both areas. Uh, it does look like George Payton's going to be a um, kind of weakened uh, with the, this move. I think the new head coach that comes in is probably going to um, have a little bit more power over things. Um, and so that's just that's why I'm I'm, I'm hoping uh, that that Walmart money will bring in a, a big name. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see and how that goes, how that plays Harbor, out. Har- yeah, Jim Harbaugh is an interesting name. I'm going to follow up to you just because this is the AFC West mixtape. What's the pulse right now when it comes to Eric Bieniemy possibly being a, a candidate in Denver? I know he's interviewed before, but what about this time around? Um, I mean, he's a name that that's been thrown out there. Obviously, um, uh, I think uh, I don't think there's really any other names that I've I've heard yeah. yet that have been tied to to the Broncos. I think it's early in the process too, mm-hmm. where you know they just fired this week there's still two games left to play i think jerry rosenberg came in as the interim um i really don't know who the candidates are um right but anybody who can fix the offense i'm i'll I'll talk (laughs) myself into i talked myself into hackett and that was a that was a disaster. So, yeah, I think from afar, <laughs> we're, we're all thrilled for the Broncos to move on. I, I think this division is more fun when it is competitive and Hackett just wasn't getting the job done. As you mentioned, Rosberg will be the interim head coach. He was actually brought in to help with the the time management. And uh, just it's not if you ever if you could have told me that this time management guy was going to be the head coach by the end of the year, I would have been stunned, especially with all the hype that that went into this year. So by extension of that, and we'll go to the next question, question number two for the Broncos. Is it crazy to think Russ Wilson is fixable based upon what you've seen? I mean, it, it'll depend on who you ask in, in Broncos yeah. country, but it, in, this is what I, what I kind of ask. I'm like, do you throw away 10 years of Russell Wilson being a top 10 quarterback for one disastrous season with a head coach that couldn't even make it through his first year? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or do you wait and see how things go with an actual competent coaching staff in place? I'm kind of in the wait and see camp, the, the second part you know i want to see what happens next year if he if he doesn't have it and you know you got a whole new coaching staff and you come out and you're just it's still terrible because russ russell wilson had a really bad season so i mean he's either going to rebound or it's just going to be the same and you really need another year to find that out with the five-year deal i i think they have to just lean in at least for one more year the, the cap hit would be over 100 million and astronomical and you may even have to talk yourself into, even if it was bad next year, trying in 24 too, just because I, I think of the contract and then maybe you can do other things, but certainly for 23. And I, I think as we look to see who will be the head coach of the Broncos, that will be priority. Number one is just trying to straighten out the career of Russ Wilson, just considering how many years are left on that deal. As we move past the, the quarterback position, we'll see what happens with Wilson. What non quarterback position would you like to see the Broncos attack this offseason? Uh, probably offensive line. Uh, I don't think any team has been more injured than the Broncos this year. Um, it's pretty bad. Uh, I think the offensive line combo has also led the league. Um, but even with their starters, the, the guard in the center position has just been absolutely terrible all year long. Um, so they, they, they need help. They need talent. Um, and it's a position they've ignored um, in the draft. So at least until you know late day 
day two, day three. Um, but that's that's where that's where they need the help the most, whether it's free agency or the draft. Because the the Broncos do play the the Chiefs this weekend, I'll I'll end just quickly here for the game. Uh, as far as your your thoughts on it go, what are you looking for in this game? Do you, do you think there's any life from having an interim head coach uh, in the mix there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been telling people beware the first game after a head coaching fire. Uh, it's it can go badly for the team that that thinks, oh, we got this in the bag. Um, <laughs> but it's the Chiefs; they're twelve and three. I, yeah. you know, I still think they're going to lose, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, fifty-one to fourteen like the Rams did to the Broncos last week. Yep. Well, there you go. He is Tim Lynch at Mile High Report. Those are three burning questions heading into the offseason. You can get all his great coverage at milehighreport.com. Tim, we will talk to you next month for the, the next AFC West mixtape. And by then, we'll be far into the playoffs. And, and I, I'm sure having eyes on the, the draft for two of these teams, one of which are, are, are you and, of course, uh, Bill's Raiders here. But, uh, Tim, happy new year. And, and thank you for joining us uh, today on the AFC West mixtape. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll move on to the Raiders, another team that'll find themselves outside of the playoffs, as Bill eloquently stated in segment one. And so we'll start our three burning questions for Silver and Black Pride. And to follow up on on the previous nudge about the quarterback position, let's talk about Derek Carr, because this is a, a guy now who has been benched seemingly to make sure that he's healthy for next year so they're not locked into next year as Carr is the starting quarterback. Bill, what's your belief level in, in Derek Carr and what's the belief level in Josh McDaniels among Raider fans at this stage? Well, with, with Carr, I mean, I think it's all about, you know, what's going to happen. And, and it's very likely, look, at Jimmy Garoppolo was gone in San Francisco, right? And then he mm-hmm. wasn't. So it's possible that he's back, but I think this certainly sets the stage for him to leave. And he's already gone. I mean, part of the fascinating part of this story is that he's going to be inactive the next two games and he's not even going to be there apparently because, you know, they, they parted ways and it's just stunning. I mean, you know, Christmas Eve night, you're looking at Derek Carr and he's trying to keep him in the playoff race and now he's gone. And that's probably going to be what it is. And, um, you know, my thoughts on it is look at, I've always thought Derek Carr is an average quarterback. Mm Mm-hmm. And because it, the NFL is on a curve and it's not a great – there's not 32 great quarterbacks. There's some really bad ones. He's probably above average. You know, he's always been in that 12-15 range. But at the end of the day, is on the field during that game, he's average. And this is his ninth year. And if you look historically in the NFL, there's been very few quarterbacks that have lost this much and, and stayed in one city. I think he he's tied for that with that record with six losing records in nine years. Um, there's been 15 quarterbacks who started 140 plus games for one team. And the other 14 have either got a combination of a Super Bowl MVP or they're in the Hall of Fame. And that's <laughs> not where this is going. So at some point you have to move on. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think it's just, it's probably the right thing to do. Again, the way it's happening is pretty jarring, especially since he is such a gung ho Raider and, and really a, a genuine guy about that, about his, you know, care for the Raiders. Um, but it's probably the way to go. And look at McDaniels isn't going anywhere. So right. somebody has to be the scapegoat here. Cause it's been a, a bitterly disappointing season. And then if you look at his, you know, blah, nine years, 
this is probably the way it's going to be. And as far as Josh McDaniels, I don't think there's much, I don't think there's much excitement or belief or or, or trust or faith in him at all. And, and, And frankly, he hasn't shown that he deserves that. I mean, he looks like the same guy from Denver, at least on the field. I think part of, I was around covering the AFC West when he was in Denver and part of his problem there was that he was very uh, brash and very abrasive with people inside that building, including the 53 players on his roster. I think he's cleaned up that part in this second go around, but the on-field stuff, he's, he just, he does some baffling stuff every game. And that New England miracle, that's what that was, a miracle yeah. win. That really um, – he did some terrible things in that game and he got really outcoached by his old mentor Belichick in the second half, but they survived it. So he's going to get more time. Mark Davis is going to give him more time and we'll see. He can become a a good coach. I mean, everybody can become better at things, right? I just don't think there's much faith from, excuse me, from the Raider fans and myself that that can happen. Yeah. I I think we saw last year with the interim coach and Rich Passaccia able to get it done. I I think we always thought that the Raiders would go and find themselves a a head coach, but you would think that with him being able to find a way into the playoffs last year, that McDaniels would have been able to accomplish that this year, especially when you you add to Devontae Adams. But I I think, you know, you nailed it on the head. Someone had to be the scapegoat and it's a little bit Mm -hmm. of the reverse as it was in Denver where you have to keep the quarterback because of right. the contract situation and you can get rid of the head coach. Whereas right. in, in Las Vegas, the head coach has the money and you can get rid of the quarterback money. So you make that change. I want to move on to question number two with Josh Jacobs. He is due to become an unrestricted free agent. And I, as I'm pulling up the numbers here, I'll be honest. I didn't realize they were this good. It, it, Dominant, he, has, man. he has accumulated 1,539 yards on, 306 carries, that's five yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns, also has added 369 yards through the air. I'm glad I have Pro Football Reference up because I am not good enough at math to know that he has 1908 scrimmage yards and he's due to become an unrestricted free agent. What do you think the Raiders should should do here? How do you feel like it goes? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in what most of the league does that doesn't really value running backs that greatly. Um, so I would understand they didn't, and you know, it was understandable that they didn't pick up his fifth year option. I mean, you can talk about all the mistakes that this team has, has made. Well, that was one of the first ones by not exercising his option. But again, at, at that time, it looked like the right thing to do, but yeah. now they, they put themselves in a situation. Long story, probably sign them. You know, I mean, yep. you're going to, you're going to get rid of most of that car money. We'll see what you do at quarterback, but you're going to have some money there. He's a huge part of this team. He's been at the MVP. You, you look at those numbers. It's the best in the NFL this year for a running back. He's only 24-25. Um, you know, at the end of the deal, it'll probably hurt them because he'll probably be get injured like most running backs do. And he's had some durability issues this year. He played through a lot this year, and he hasn't missed any games. But that's always there with a running back. So at the end of the deal, it might not be great, but I don't – I, I think, you know, the next couple of years you go for it with him. Yeah. I think the age of 24, you can talk yourself into that because yeah. if you're not at that age where somebody will if, sign him, if, you know, somebody will right. give him a good deal if, if he gets an open market. So we talked about the quarterback position. We talked about the running back position. If we throw those away, what do you feel like the Raiders greatest position of need heading into the off season is uh, assuming that, okay, you know, quarterback is, is 
clearly going to be a need. But sure. after that, what, what do you think uh, as far as position of need? Well, I think there's a lot of need, and that wasn't supposed to be the case. I mean, the offensive yeah. line can use some help. Um, you know, the um, but I, I think the answer, and, and if somebody said, okay, they need a tackle, I say, okay. But I, I think the answer is somebody to help Max Crosby. Max Crosby is an elite player. But it doesn't really sh- it show he he shows it, but it doesn't show in the results of the defense. Right, you know the defense is lackluster, and they need somebody. So pick any layer. If you give me a a really good interior offensive a defensive lineman, a linebacker Denzel Perryman is a free agent, a corner, a safety, just somebody who can really bring it and, and be a true partner to Max Crosby and help elevate that defense. Finally, uh, Chandler Jones isn't it? You know he, he's he's thirty two, he's out for the rest of the year. He's got a $34 million contract, so he's not going to get cut this year. Um, he had a couple of nice games. He he has that New England win you know, where the ball was mm-hmm. thrown right into his hands. Um, and he had a three-sack game the week before against the uh, Charger, two weeks before. He's had some games, but it, overall it hasn't been a great year. And what's who's going to say he's going to bounce back at 33? So they need somebody, and it's just an impact defensive player. So a lot of changes ahead for these Las Vegas Raiders, we know that the head coach will be there, but who will be the quarterback? What will they do to help the defense and, and Max Crosby? And so that's what the, the offseason is for. So keep it locked in at, at Silver and Black Pride. Bill Williamson will have you covered there throughout the offseason. And, Bill, happy holidays to you and happy new year. See you guys. Same to you. Take care. All right. We're continuing on here with the AFC West mixtape and head out to the coast, Los Angeles, the Chargers, who have made the playoffs. Michael, I remember, before we get into the burning questions, I, I remember you, you were pretty down on that possibility the last time we talked, and we do only do this once a month, but the, the Chargers have really impressed and found themselves in the, the AFC playoffs here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, all that reverse psychology worked. Uh, every, <laughs> every time we ended the podcast, I think we were like, let's just uh, let's predict the next few games. And I was like, man, they're going to lose like all of them but one, or they're going to have a bad record, and I'm going to watch this thing bounce back. And Fortunately, that's kind of exactly what happened, right? I mean, they yeah. were pretty, uh, things look pretty sour after they lost the Raiders uh, at the beginning of the December. Uh, and then they rattle off three straight wins, and, and here they are. It's just, it's such a, a contrast between the way last year went. Um, there was right. a bunch of exciting games. Herbert played very well. Uh, the defense was still pretty bad, but it was fine enough. And then they just barely missed out on the playoffs, came down to that amazing Week 18 game. And then this year, they they clinch it with two weeks to go. And it's weird because as Chargers fans, we're all just kind of like, we don't know what to do with our hands. You know, there was two <laughs> games left. And usually the you prediction the was last like, one this, this year, exactly. Yeah. You thought that like with the way the season went for us to bounce back and make it to the postseason, it's like, man, it's going to come down to 18 again. It's going to come down to some gnarly clinching scenario. And hopefully we get it. Maybe not. It'll be dramatic and suspenseful. But like we, we did it already. And now there's two weeks. And we're kind of just like, well, how do you even prepare the next two weeks at this point? Michael, speaking of uh, yep. postseason, and you know, I know no one cares about your fantasy team, but Justin Herbert six uh, in my dynasty league did not help <laughs> me advance to what would be the finals this week. So of all the weeks mm-hmm. to have for him to win a game, but uh, to have six points, it was not great for uh, what we we call Kelly's Westport Inn is my dynasty, which is a, a bar in Kansas City that I've named it after. Anyway, let's get to the, the real football. This is not a fantasy football podcast. Let's get to the Chargers. And so they're in the playoffs, Mike, and, and of the possible wildcard opponents, because we kind of know who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Who matches up with, with L.A. the best, and, and why do you think that? 
Uh, just real quick, uh, besides you, I also had to face my wife who had Justin <laughs> Herbert and cost her the championship, getting yes. into the championship Same. of her matchup as well. It's Same. like a buddy of mine's league, and it's like her second year in it. Trouble. And she took Trouble. Herbert from me, and yeah. Was, yeah so, okay. no, 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 that hasn't too good. Uh, <laughs> but let's see, as far as uh, the best matchup, I think the one team Chargers fans probably for the most is the Bengals. Um, I think it's the most polarizing matchup you could possibly want, the NFL could want, right? Herbert versus Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at the roster, it's fairly healthy at all their important positions. All their notable players are there. Um, you look at their receiving corpse, which is – uh, you know, Higgins, Boyd, Chase, all perfect blends of speed, athleticism, size, and they use it very well. They just all have such a good connection with Joe Burrow. So even with as well as the Chargers defense has been playing um, recently, they switched from more off man to press man, kind of getting up in the face of receivers and, and really trying to stick it to them. And it seems to have been working, especially during that Miami game. But I don't know if you can really do that against this this receiver group. I just think they're they're too physical as well. They've got good size against the Chargers defensive backs. Um, I think it'd be a heck of a matchup offensively to the Chargers defense, um, but it's not something I would really look forward to. And as far as their defense goes, I mean, they got two good edge rushers, uh, Hendrickson and Hubbard. They got good athletic and rangy linebackers that just kind of seem to be all around the ball uh dj reader in the middle of that defense as well they just have good players and against the chargers offensive line that has good players as well such as Corey lindsley um unfortunately they're still missing Rashawn slater um right tackle trey pipkins has kind of picked up the pace a bit uh this year as well which is good to see but in general they just have been very leaky and justin herbert has been pressured i think at a league high rate over the last few weeks mm-hmm. and, and that just can't continue especially going into the postseason so obviously there's hope that Rashawn Slater uh, returns as well probably not until the postseason actually gets here Um, but overall I think I would be most afraid of that matchup despite how fun it could be to watch that game well that's one of the positives too about the Chargers being in the playoffs so early and if you're looking at silver linings of not winning the division you're kind of locked into a wild card so it's not like you're rushing anyone back you you know at this stage you, you kind of realize you could have to be road warriors at least to an extent and so we'll see if Slater can get back from the postseason. We're going to talk about another injured player here in a, a few moments, but want to talk about the head coach, Brandon Staley. So with the Chargers making the playoffs, is he now safe or do you think that they still need to go on the road here and win a playoff game? I think Staley's safe. I think especially the way he turned around the second half of the year, um, obviously winners of three straights, uh, two against kind of lowly teams in the Titans uh, who were a playoff team a couple weeks ago, but, you know, they looked abysmal recently. Um, the Colts, you know, got past them. And then the Dolphins, obviously, that still is a statement win. A lot of people see, saw that as a pivotal win for his tenure as head coach because it finally showed that he could coach a defense to do what he wanted them to do. And a lot of the rumors coming out was that he simply simplified the defense, right? It used to be yeah. a very complicated scheme. Uh, a lot of communication was needed. And unfortunately, if you just have guys that are bad communicators, unfortunately, um, it, it seems to have been that uh, that was the case up until that game. So. I think that was absolutely huge for him. And then just the fact, I mean, it's his second year. He gets them into the playoffs. Um, They were seven and nine, I believe, in 2020, Herbert's rookie year. Before that, they were five and 11. So to have him come in, have a winning record at nine and eight year one, uh, come in, have nine wins with two games left and clinching the postseason. I mean, it just seems like he's safe and they would give him much more time. And I've kind of mentioned on on past mixtapes that if, if anyone was going to go, if they felt that this year, uh, just wasn't acceptable that that Tom Telesco, the general manager, was going to be the guy to go because at that okay. point, like, you know, you're not going to fire your your third or fourth head coach under his tenure and have him the same guy hire another coach. So at, at that point, I think if anyone wasn't safe, it was Telesco. As of right now, I think Staley's good. 
Yeah. I mean, it would have been a scenario had the Chargers completely fallen off like we thought might have happened. It, it could have been a podcast where today we had the Broncos getting rid of their head coach, the Raiders getting rid of their quarterback, and the Chargers mm-hmm. getting rid of their GM. But I tend to think you're right at, at this stage when you're able to make the postseason. That, to me, was the goal for the Chargers. And yep. so any kind of win here would be a cherry on top. I, mm-hmm. I said we'd talk about an injured player, and this is an important one. Joey Bosa, he's the game changer when it comes to the Chargers Super Bowl champion, or chances, I should say, in, in my estimation. I know that his clock has started. What is the status? What's been the rumblings out of L.A.? So the rumblings so far have been that he's actually practicing this week. Um, They opened the window Thursday morning. So yesterday morning and Lindsay theory of ESPN reported that he would probably be on the field. Um, And in an interview with media in the locker room, he was very open about kind of the whole process. And originally his timeline for that torn groin, he he took in and week three was six to 10 weeks. And it's been 12 plus weeks since then now that he's finally um, activated and we, we came to find out that he didn't just have surgery on the torn groin. He also had surgery on his core area where he said for years now that he has had problems with his core that have plagued him for, for multiple years at this point and to the degree where he got used to it. But he said things as little as like picking up something off the floor, tying his shoes, doing things like that were not comfortable for him on a daily basis. And he just kind of put up with it uh, for years and years. So now he said, uh, you know, and every player says it to some degree, but he said this is the best he's felt in years because simply <laughs> he can train and do a yeah. lot of things um, and be comfortable doing it. I think the, the the quote that stuck out the most was I didn't want to come back before I was confident in myself and the way I wanted to practice and the way I wanted to work out and train. And so that's why now it's a bit more understandable that his his rehab time was a couple weeks later. And if he truly is telling the truth and if he is uh, as good as he's ever been, as healthy as he's ever felt in, in some years, that's fantastic. And at this yeah, point, he was, you know, I don't yeah. want to cut you off here, but he was elite before. Right. So like, what is this super Joey Bosa? Yeah, that so that'd be really cool. I've always said with Joey Bosa that like he was always such a good run stopper and pass rusher. Like his brother Nick purely is, is getting going to get after the quarterback. You know, a right. fifteen sack plus guy. But Bosa's numbers also number excuse me always showed up at, in the tackles for loss as well, and just how he affected the run game and setting the edge. And I think obviously that's been a huge miss for the Chargers this year. So for him to come back, I don't know, man. If he can come out and have a good number of sacks these last few games and in the postseason, come out next year. Uh, and have a career year because his career high is only 12 and a half. That's not super high for for the elite pass rushers in the NFL. So if he could come out, man, and, and you know blow that away, especially hopefully him and Mac can kind of stay together again and not one of them get hurt. Um, I'm excited to see what they can do. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's going to be something. And and for the Chargers to just be in the, the postseason and not really know what is in store when it comes to Bosa, I mean, that that is such a huge advantage as well. I, I just think it's it, it makes for a very interesting scenario here. And with that, we have a bonus question for you, Mike. How far did the Chargers go? Are you are you going with your, your strategy in previous mixtapes where we go reverse psychology and the early exit? Or what do you think here? So I'll try to be as realistic as possible. I think uh, of the wildcard opponents, there's the Bengals we talked about, um, yep. which I think is their worst matchup. I just think that's such a complete team that didn't suffer from any sort of hangover of being in the Super Bowl last year. Um, they're healthy, I just think. 
tough matchup all the way around. Um, I think there's a scenario where if the Ravens beat the Bengals in week 18, I want to say, and the Bengals also lose to the Bills, that the Ravens become the three seed, and there's probably a good chance the Chargers still stick in the six. So um, that's a matchup I, I kind of like. If Lamar, Lamar Jackson can't return, um, I think he's missed 11 practices at this point. Um, I do like their chances there. It's not They're a good Ravens team, but offensively they just don't seem like the same one we're used to the last couple of years. Um, so I do like that one better. I think the most ideal situation is – Chargers moving up to the five seed, and that can happen if the Ravens lose just one of their next two games because it would give the Chargers the tiebreaker in terms of AFC games one. Chargers would be at uh, eight and four, and if the Ravens lose at least one of the next two, they're eight and five. So that would give them the winner of the AFC South, which would be the Jaguars or the Titans. Well, yeah. we'd take the Titans any day of the week because I feel like we got, you know, it was a close game, but that wasn't the best Chargers team we've seen. And then the Jaguars, as, as well as they've been playing, I don't think that game's 38 to 10 at this point because that game also was when Joey Bosa got hurt when Rashawn Slater got hurt and I mean that was demoralizing and you saw it in the play of the Chargers so ideally it'd be wonderful I think if they get the AFC South winner I think that's probably a win and they go to the the divisional round and I'd say that's a coin flip Uh, and then when it comes to if it's the Ravens or Bengals I'd say it's a coin flip as well more than likely they might be one and done but it all depends if Bosa and Slater come back and are healthy if so I think that's at least a win in the wild card round. Man, as, as you're thinking about it, right? Like you, wild card weekend, you're going to get Herbert or Herbert Burrow, Herbert Jackson potentially returning, Herbert Lawrence, who has played yep. fantastic as as these final weeks have, have gone on. Uh, we'll see if the the Titans can hold on. I, I tend to think they they can. I, I think that's yep. going to be the Jaguars. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see. But man, it, it just it just reminds you of how good wild card weekend is, and then divisional round weekend i mean it's just two of the best weeks of football because you know you have all that riffraff that's out mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the afc west that's no longer on the show right now <laughs> and you are getting some really good teams going at each other yeah. for two weekends in a row so it should be a, a fun fun little run here for the chargers oh yeah no most definitely i really can't wait either way you got you know long hair versus long hair and lawrence and, and herbert <laughs> uh you got a t- 2018 wild card rematch if they get the ravens and then it's herbert yeah. burrow like i mean there's no storyline at least that's like not fairly notable depending on who they, who they match up with. Right. I mean, like no matter what you're going to see some really good football. And I mean, all three opponents phenomenal. They're in the playoffs for a reason. Um, Even, even the Jaguars, while the record might not be Sterling, they're playing great ball. There's a lot of good players on that team. He is Michael Peterson. He runs the website bolts from the blue. You can, Check out all the great stuff over there. So from short hair to short hair guy, uh, Michael, uh, happy holidays and happy new year. Yeah, buddy. You as well. We'll see you guys. All right. For the final part of our podcast, we're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. And because I, I'm just one man, I'm going to work, welcome in the Arrowhead Pride podcast producer, does SB Nation NFL show producing as well, Steven Serta. Going to pass the torch to, to you. I don't know these questions that you're about to ask me, so I'm, I'm going to try to adjust on the fly here. And tell you guys about the Chiefs and, and where they're at as they get ready to take on the Broncos on Sunday. So with that, Steve, I'll throw it to you. It's really just nothing but uh, speculation on where Eric <laughs> Bieniemy is going to go this offseason. No, no real questions about the Kansas City Chiefs, no. But uh, seriously, so Pete, we obviously talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a ton. Yeah. We've, you've been at every home game this year. We've watched every single game. We break it down on a weekly basis and, and cover a lot of Chiefs content here at Arrowhead Pride. But I think one of the more frustrating things about the Kansas City Chiefs this season has been what we assume is, 
you know, a, a core part of their team in the offensive line. And yeah. it's supposed to be one of the best units in football. And, you know, depending on what metrics you look at, some of them say it is, some of them say it's really far away from that. Um, but there is optimism because they've been playing a lot better lately. And specifically Trey Smith has been playing a lot better lately. I think he's finally healthy. I think he was just injured in the first half of the season. But Orlando Brown is finally playing well after really looking bad during his contract season with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm just curious how you feel about the offensive line and if you feel like it's going to be good enough uh, against some of these star-studded pass rushers that they're going to see in the playoffs. Orlando Brown Jr., of course, came over from the Baltimore Ravens a few years ago via trade, draft weekend trade, and it is making for another interesting offseason because the Chiefs ended up franchise tagging him. They couldn't come to this long-term agreement. And you kind of thought, well, by the end of the year, you'll know exactly what to do. The problem, as Steve eloquently mentioned, is the fact that Brown really didn't have a great start, middling a little bit in the middle of the season, you know, pun intended, I guess. And then he's been playing really well <laughs> on the stretch. And if he continues on the playoffs, it's going to create another situation where I don't know what the Chiefs are, are going to do this offseason. I'm sure the the negotiating is going to be interesting because we know that he's been wanting to be paid like one of the best left tackles in the league. And the Chiefs have been like, well, you know, are you? And a little bit of haggling back and forth. But right now it's the playoff push. I think the interior has been good. Uh, that's the strength of the Chiefs team. You had these guys between Trey Smith, who you mentioned, and Creed Humphrey. In their second year, Joe Tooney is Mr. Consistency over there, one of the toughest players in the NFL. Brown's been playing better, as we mentioned. And then you have Andrew Wiley at right tackle. And I I don't know if you're ever going to have a perfect offensive line in the league. I think Andrew Wiley's been solid. It actually surprises me that they have not given someone like a Lucas Niang or Prince Teguinogo a try there because if there was going to be a position that you replaced among the line to try to make it a little bit better, it might be the right tackle position, but they've been playing well. I think run blocking and, and pass blocking. I think sometimes the the pocket for Pat breaks down a little too fast, but I think Patrick has actually timed it out really well in his head by now. Like, I don't know if you've noticed this, Steve, but at times, even when the pocket does break down very quickly in the game, it seems like Mahomes has a knack for, you know, he's very athletic, he, but dashing and, and juking his way out of it so that he, get, he has a, a clean path to, to throw the football. Teams have started blitzing here and there a little bit more than they have. I, there was a, a while, I, I think, a stretch where you just didn't blitz Patrick Mahomes. And so I, I think it's tough for the Chiefs O-line because I just don't think they're they're great in those situations. But when Mahomes recognizes it, that's when he really does some damage. So I, I guess I, I'll tell you this. I think there were parts of the season where I was worried that the offensive line would cost the Chiefs a chance to win the Super Bowl. Like it was playing so poorly that I, I didn't think the Chiefs would be able to win the Super Bowl. And now I, you know, it's not that I think they're they're great or world beaters, as you would say, but I, I think they're playing well enough for the Chiefs to be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And I, I think at this stage of the game, for them to be healthy, we've, we've seen in past years where the Chiefs offensive line was not healthy, uh, for them to be healthy and playing well at this time, is there's not much more you could ask for at this stage. And, and you kind of punch those contract conversations with Brown to the offseason and like I said, it'll be interesting, but right now it's all about the playoff push. Well, and like you mentioned on the running game, I think there's something to the run game contributing to the offensive line, just playing yeah. better in general. The check on the kid in. Yes. Yeah. have been a blessing. Yes. It's those guys have done a lot for, for those guys up front. And we always knew Orlando Brown wasn't like the greatest pass blocker in the world. So 
Uh, the Chiefs getting the running game going, I, I think, has just been a positive uh, for the offense as a whole. But moving to the defensive line, uh, you know, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Chris Jones has obviously had uh, just a total game wrecker kind of season, and that's exactly who we knew he was going to be. But coming into the season, one of the biggest red flags for us was – the edge position like mm-hmm. what are we going to get out of frank clark what are we going to get out of mike yeah. dana carlos dunlap rookie george karloftis but the defensive line's coming off one of its best performances of the season against the seattle seahawks and that's going to be the biggest thing because I- I- i've gone back and forth uh on podcasts with chiefs fans this year about it and i understand the chiefs have good sack numbers but when you dive into their pressure numbers their pressure numbers are inconsistent and, and they're not near the top of the nfl like the sack numbers are and mm. you're not going to be able to blitz josh allen like that you can't <laughs> blitz joe burrow like that so even coming off of a strong performance, where are you at on the Chiefs defensive line and specifically the pass rush right now? I think it's all going to depend, depend on Chris Jones continuing to, to dominate. You know, does Chris Jones want to win another Super Bowl? I, I tend to think he really turns it on in the playoffs. And you saw the eight pressure game this past week where he was terrorizing the Seahawks. I think you're going to have to see continued efforts there. Frank Clark is, is not the same guy he was during the first Super Bowl run. I, I, that's obvious, but I think he's been good enough. And I think he's more of a rotational type of guy. I think there you see flashes of that old Frank Clark. Hopefully you see a few more in the playoffs. To me, the emergence of George Karloftis is is what is a little bit hidden here and probably perfect for the AFC West mixtape. It's just a player that really is not that well-known. He's a rookie. was taken late in the first round. And you kind of blinked here a little bit, and he's had, what, four sacks in the last five games. He's really turned it on for the Chiefs. He's not really playing like a rookie anymore. Like I would tell you, between George Karloftis and Carlos Dunlap, George Karloftis is playing now like a veteran, and Carlos Dunlap looks like he's young. And the thing that I've, I've liked from these guys that you're seeing, in, and this has seemed to have spread throughout the defensive line room, and cr- credit to Joe Cullen, who actually came from the Jaguars as their defensive coordinator is these bat downs at the line. Uh, it's just, it it's such an advantage and, it, and it's something that's like, you know, you talk about pressures, you talk about sacks. It, it's just something that isn't really talked about as much as, as far as impacting the game. But when a guy is wide open downfield and, and say it's in the flat or, or say it's a short pass in the middle, whatever you want to want to call it. And the defensive line just knocks down the pass. I mean, that's, a, that's almost as good as a sack, right? Or a pressure. I mean, that, you know, and these guys are, are using their arms. I think it comes from the, the Dunlap school of playing defensive line, but you also see it from guys like Carl Loftus, Chris Jones, occasionally. Uh, Colin Saunders has been a pleasant surprise. Mike Dana, I, I like the rotation, and I like that the stars are playing well, and Carl Loftus could be the difference. If he continues to play like a veteran, like he has in this final stretch, um, you know, I, I think the Chiefs defensive line, just like the offensive line, I think you feel like they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. Now, is it a place where I'm like bragging where I think it's an extreme strength? No, but your extreme strength is the quarterback, right? <laughs> Which is the most important thing. So if the other parts of your team are just good enough, then you should be able to, to go the distance. And so that, I think that's kind of where I'm at on, on the chiefs defensive line as it stands. I just wish that they were as good at teaching tackling as they are at swatting passes <laughs> at the line of scrimmage. Cause the linebacker really tackling, good. you know, you talk about the second level, the linebacker tackling has left, you know, some room for improvement. It, it, it was better last week. I mean, you had Nick Bolton, the, the middle linebacker. He had 17 tackles, and he's among the tackle leaders in the NFL. But it hasn't always been good this year. And you're going to need to be able to wrap these guys up, especially as Michael was saying, you, you know, when you play the Cincinnati Bengals, who we know are very slippery. 
The final thing for me, Sween, and uh, I think the biggest red flag on this Kansas City Chiefs team ahead of the playoffs has to be the turn turnover margin, um, whether yeah. it's offensive turnovers, defensive turnovers, which they just don't generate at all. Like, it's just not something that this defense has been very good at this season. But we talked about it uh, on Show and BK this week, and I think I even did some kind of write-up for Arrowhead Pride on it, where – I think that the biggest thing the offense can do to help the defense right now is just not turning it over because Brandon Kylie brought this up it prior to that game against the Seahawks where they had zero offensive turnovers. The chiefs had an offensive turnover in 11 straight weeks, (laughs) which is insane. And I knew it was bad, but I, I hadn't actually like gone through the schedule and counted how many weeks in a row they had had turnovers yeah. And I'm just curious how you feel about this. Like, can mm-hmm. you see this improving or, or staying the same? Like, can they really rebound off of this Seahawks game where they had zero turnovers and keep that moving well, in the playoffs against better defenses? I've said it locally in Kansas City, and I've said it on specifically our Pride podcast network. And so this is more for L.A., Vegas uh, and Denver. A lot of the Chiefs season has been defined by one turnover in particular. And this is a point I make often in Kansas City and a lot of Chiefs fans roll their eyes. And I'm sure I'm sure the fellow AFC West fans will roll their eyes a little bit as well. But if Travis Kelsey doesn't fumble against the Bengals, this entire season feels differently. I think everybody nationally and by extension of that, I'm saying that I think the Chiefs win that game against the Bengals if if Kelsey doesn't fumble. And and so you're, you're down to one fumble right now. They would be in position as the, the first buy and they would have to beat the lowly Broncos and then the Raiders. And, you know, we just talked about those teams to to clinch the buy. And I just think everyone would be like, well, the Chiefs are the favorites again, especially when you look at the other side in the other conference where you have Philadelphia with all these injuries. If you don't have that fumble. It's just different. The problem is they had the fumble. And as you mentioned, they fumbled in 11 straight weeks. I think that can be a positive going into the regular season because you can see how a game can get away from you. Yes, they lost to the Bills. Yes, they lost to the Bengals. They also had a disaster against the Indianapolis Colts. And we're talking about the pre-Saturday Colts, the the OG. That was was a year ago. Yes, it feels so. And that impacted their season as well. I mean, there just were so many mistakes in that game. And for them not to have a turnover free game before last week, dating back to week five. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's troublesome, but ball security to me is a fundamental thing. I, I think maybe they're better for it having happened where I'm a little bit more concerned about the, you know, more so than the offensive side and the ball security, because I think they're cognizant of, of the impact that can have on games. That's why they, there were no turnovers last week. I think it's just causing more turnovers. Like I would really, think the Chiefs could benefit from getting Mahomes a short field by forcing a fumble by if they have to end up playing, let's say the Chargers or the Dolphins or whoever ends up being the seventh seed. And, you know, if the Bills are able to take care of business on Monday and the Chiefs have to play on wildcard weekend as the two, like intercepting a Tua or a Teddy Bridgewater, depending, it just changes the game and just gives you such an advantage. And I, I mean, I know we're talking about simple football and, and turnover ratio is just simple football, but if this team plays clean football, they're just really hard to beat. Like, I don't think the offense played the best game against the Seattle Seahawks. They were in the mud for what felt like two quarters, the end, you know, the end of the second, all the way into the fourth. And because they didn't turn over the football, they were never really in danger because their defense played well. And I, I think it, it should continue to play well. So 
that could be the key. It, it seems again very simple, but if the Chiefs play clean football, I just yeah, I think they're going to accomplish what what they want. It's th- the biggest thing again. I think the offense can do to help the defense is just not turn it over because. The defense biggest issue this season is red zone defense. Like when teams get into the red zone, they score touchdowns. They don't hold them to field goals. It's just not what their defense does. So when they've got to go on long drives, the Chiefs defense seems to have a lot more success uh, as opposed to starting at at their own 30 or something like that and having a short field to go find the end zone. All right, so that is it. That wraps up our AFC West mixtape for December, the final AFC West mixtape for 2022. We can scratch off two teams, Mile High Report and Silver and Black Pride. Next time we talk, they will certainly not be playing with their final two games coming up here. We'll see if the Chiefs are still playing. We'll see if the Chargers are still playing. Michael Peterson, myself, Bolts from the Blue, Arrowhead Pride are still alive. But thank you to Tim Lynch of Mile High Report. Thank you to Bill Williamson of Silver and Black Pride. Thank you to Michael Peterson from Bolts from the Blue. And thank you to our podcast producer, Steven Serta, for jumping in on this final Chiefs segment. We'll be back at the end of January. So get those New Year's resolutions ready. And and maybe it, you, you find yourself in a brand spanking New Jersey from the holiday season. And, and you can enjoy these playoffs, especially in, in L.A. and K.C. For all those guys who who do a great job, my name is Pete Sweeney. I run Arrowhead Pride. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the AFC West Mixtape.